Welcome to In 10, brought to you by the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma, Asia Pacific. In 10 is a podcast for journalists, journalism educators and researchers and health professionals dedicated to improving media coverage of trauma, conflict and tragedy. We're excited to bring you the first series of the podcast, hosted by Lisa Miller. Lisa is co-host of the ABC's News Breakfast program and was a foreign correspondent for the ABC in Washington, D.C. for three years, covering major stories in Asia, London and America, including the 2005 Bali bombing and the controversial hanging of an Australian drug runner in Singapore. In this first series of In 10, Lisa chats with fellow journalists about their experiences covering trauma and conflict. Karen Percy, welcome to In 10. It's fabulous to be here, Lisa Miller. Now, you and I know each other and go back quite a way, but for our listeners, just give us a snapshot of your career. So I started with the ABC back in 1987. (laughs) You don't have to mumble that. (laughs) That's right. 35 years I've been a journalist and and just love it still. Um, I was a public broadcaster for a lot of that time, primarily with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, but also I spent six or seven years with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I was a foreign correspondent in Southeast Asia and then a freelance foreign correspondent based out of Russia for a couple of years. So while I've done mostly TV and radio through my career, obviously these recent years and the move to digital, I've done a lot of digital work as well. And I guess most recently when I was with the ABC before leaving them in 2020 and the cuts that weren't cuts, I was a court reporter. So I've done a lot of different things. Now I'm freelancing and wearing a few volunteer hats, including being the Dart Centre Asia Pacific's chair, which is a role I really love and as well as the media section president of the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance and a director of the Walkleys. When did you first start thinking about the impact that your job might be having on you? It probably goes back to some of my earliest experiences. Uh, My first exposure to death, I was 18 years old. I was Uh, covering something on a wet, rainy Saturday afternoon in Adelaide and a young boy was pulled from a stormwater drain. Um, It wasn't far from where my family grew up and that young boy was about the age of my young brother and I kind of lost it. Um, So I guess that's when I first understood really what being a journalist was about and, and really having that front seat to tragedy. I guess the next time I I sort of developed was in 1989. I was a young reporter in Alice Springs and I was covering, there was a balloon crash, two balloons collided midair and and both of them fell to the ground. And that's when I was dealing with the families who'd been dealing with the tragedy through the coronial inquest and, and a later court case. And I guess then it kind of came into frame again for me when I was the Southeast Asia correspondent from 2006 to 2009 for the ABC. And six weeks after I arrived, there was a military coup. And over the three, three and a half years I was in Bangkok, there was just, you know, low level violence all the time escalating, depending on which side of the government or the the royalists was deciding to get on each other's nerves. So I found that gin was my best friend for a while there and, and, you know, very poor sleep. But I guess it's taken a a lot of measures and a lot of stories um, when I really look back at it. I think about the time you then spent doing court reporting in Melbourne as a really difficult time. I saw the stories you were doing, Karen. Oh, they were tough. They were really tough. 
I remember one in particular story I was covering of, um, and, you know, content warning for all around, a, a really nasty child abuse case. The Burke Street killer, the fellow who drove down Burke Street, the plea hearings there, hearing from dozens and dozens of families, uh, first responders. But, you know, one of the ones that really has stuck with me, and it wasn't a court story, was Luke Batty, the death of Luke Batty. I was there the day Rosie Batty came out. He was killed by his father while Rosie was at the, you know, inside the chain, the, the clubhouse at the cricket club in Tyab, and his father killed him. And, you know, she was an extraordinary woman listening that 20 minutes she gave to reporters outside where she was full of grace and no hatred. She just had an understanding of what her former partner had gone through despite this terrible tragedy. But that brought me undone. That's the story that brought me undone. All of the trauma that I had experienced or seen or spoken to people about kind of piled on me that day. And And that's when there was a turning point for me. I sought counselling. I've since come on this DART journey, if you like. I've been a fellow and a senior fellow on the great programs that DART does in the US. And, you know, I'm a trauma awareness proselytizer. When I was at the ABC as a peer supporter, just telling everybody who would listen whenever you have to listen to this stuff. Mm. What are some of the tips that you've learned over the years that you'd want to share with others? Prepare, research, prepare yourself psychologically, know what you're going into and what, you know, you might uncover, but also doing some research on the people that you're dealing with. That's the thing I've come out most with the the DART work and the trauma exposure work I've done is, is just to really think differently about the people that we interview. Um, You know, so obviously you want to be empathetic and sympathetic, uh, but now I always have an eye on how that person is traveling, what I can see and then what their responses are. I like to give them some control. I say to them, are there some things you don't want to talk about? Allow them to to put some boundaries in. Try and give them, you know, validation, legitimise their story. And, you know, there's some great um, tips about reflecting back to them. It's just like, I can see this is really hard for you. You're not the only one. It's actually just really validating as much as anything and just trying to be open and transparent in my journalism. We're going to do the interview. This is how it's going to happen. It will appear on radio. There might be something on television. So just being really open and upfront about the process and also what the responses from people might be. We might not be able to change your world. We'll get your story out there, but we might not be able to change everything for you. You know, the other really important thing, which you would consider an absolute given, but other people might not realise how important this might be, spell their names right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that can be the final blow for them. Uh, If they've lost a daughter and it's they see just one letter wrong, it's like you couldn't even do me the respect of getting the name right. And pronunciations too as broadcasters, you know, that's really, really important for us. So, you know, and I've learned over the years also to put boundaries in place for myself. It's just, you know, sometimes if you're interviewing somebody, it's the first time they've ever really spoken about something, you know, you can suddenly become their crutch and they see you as their counsellor. So putting boundaries in, in place for myself. And I've also learned to listen to myself, to trust my instincts and to respond when people reach out. I wasn't very good at that in the early days when somebody said to me, are you okay? And I'm, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Even though I had my own tips and tricks to look after myself. And I also allow myself to feel sad and to grieve and to get angry about the stories that I'm involved in. 
and also to acknowledge to myself how difficult things can be. So I kind of now give myself much more of a pass rather than the taking on board that toughen up princess attitude that was around for so long. I just want to share with listeners because they'll be consuming this any time in the future, but today is the day we're recording it and there's been a terrible school shooting in Texas. Uh, For me, it's been a hard day because I covered the Sandy Hook school shooting a decade ago. But one of the things that has given me comfort today, Karen, and I want to share it with listeners, is that I've been in touch with the mum of one of the boys who died at Sandy Hook. And we've shared a couple of emails. And the fact that 10 years after I first met her and started doing stories on her grief and her trauma, we're still in touch because she's felt that what I was able to do as a journalist did give her something in her life. And it then has had the added effect of making me feel like my work was worthy, that I wasn't acting like a vulture. Um, Absolutely. And that's, I'm so heartened by that as well. One of the things that I like to teach young reporters about the whole kind of interview process is saying to them, one of the most important things you can do is actually check in afterwards. Or when you finish the interview, so that was really great. Thank you so much. And checking in, where's that person going? You've gone and stirred up all these emotions in them. What's their safety network? What's What does their life look like when they walk away from their interview? Um, so I always sort of do a whole kind of how are you doing? What's going on? What are you, what's the rest of your day looking like? Um, you know, are you going home to the dog? Oh, the dog died. Oh, you know, my husband's left me. So get a sense of what they are going back to. Check in on them again. I do it all the time. Call them up on the pretense of, oh, I, I forgot what year did that such and such happen or that was it two L's or far, you know, like I use that as an excuse. As a journalist, we have all the time to check back in with people. So, you know, ensuring that they've got a, a network and a safe space, I think, is really um, important. Now, we also have to understand our roles as journalists. You know, we're not counsellors. You know, we can't deal with people who are wanting to self-harm or whatever. So we actually have to truly, really understand our place. But I find checking in is really wonderful. And I'm so heartened to hear that, Lisa, because that's so important to us. Karen, what do you think bosses and organisations can do? I think one of the most important things they can do is give people time away from traumatic events, whether it's, you know, spelling them for a couple of days after they've been in a bushfire zone or understanding, you know, that they might need to do some lighter stories for a while. And sleep, rest, that's one of the best things that people can do is to kind of reset and recharge and get, in, get on top of their lives. Journalists have busy lives and sometimes, you know, haven't been able to fill the fridge or haven't been able to do some washing. So while I think employee assistance programs are fabulous, counsellors are fabulous, outreach is nice as well and all important parts of it, but just giving people time away to sleep, to recharge is so important and so simple. Given your experience, why do you think it's important to have an organisation like the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma? Because what we do is different. You know, there's a lot of people doing well-being, a lot of people doing vicarious trauma into other professions, but um, we're, we, we sometimes get somewhere first, but we're not really a first responder. We feel a duty of care to the people that we're speaking to, but we don't actually have a duty of care necessarily because it's such a fleeting you know, encounter sometimes. So I think We have responsibilities of, you know, public interest and ethics, but I think sometimes because our role is not 
all that are defined in that traumatic environment that it can be really, really hard. So we actually, it is very different. Our needs are different. You know, one of the things when I'm talking to reporters all the time about their experiences, the first thing they think about is how they did the job. Uh, You know, my phone died. I missed that slot, missed that deadline. Channel 7 got something that we didn't. That part of the job is really the front of mind. And then they start to think about what they've seen and what they've experienced. So I do think you need something that specialises in the area that we're in. Karen Percy, thanks for joining us for In 10. My pleasure. 